You know, as a teenager, uh, my dad, he was a pastor of a church in Rockford, Illinois, of a pretty significant ministry um, in this church. And he did what I now look back at being some radical things. Back then, I wasn't really I wasn't quite sure how radical they were, except for I knew they were radical because of the kind of response he got from people. He would he would do some things that stretch people, sometimes to the point of breaking. And, and, and his heart desire was to take the word of God and to to allow it to be applied to people's lives using relevant mediums and forms of of, of distributing that word. He would try and, and, and help us as people understand that. So, you, know, you have to understand this is back in 1970. One of the things he did, and he did it on a Sunday night, because then we went to church every Sunday night. Anybody know that, you know, that routine? Every Sunday night. And my dad showed a movie in church. There's no reaction here. That was a big deal. In that stream of evangelicalism that we were a part of, movies were just not a good thing. And it was a Billy Graham film, and it still, he still took flack for that. And then, then there was another time where he stretched people. It was in 1974. I was in, in my junior year in high school. And I, I remember this because it created quite a stir in the church. Um, he had told the church that there were going to be a musical group. And again, it would be on a Sunday night. This musical group would be coming. They were a little more contemporary. They were younger. And they would be coming. Their name was Truth. It's not a bad name for a group. And, and, and he said to the congregation of about that time, 1,500 people, he said, you know, I just want you to know that this is going to come up. And, and, and those of you who might not like this kind of music, don't come. Well, you know what that did. They're all there. And here's, here's the group that created quite the stir. We actually had some people leave the church. You kind of go, really? There's another memory that I have at that same time. And they had a man came. He could sing on Sunday mornings. His name was Doug Oldham. Anybody remember the name Doug Oldham? Rather heavy set man. He sang. He had a key, uh, kind of like a signature song. It was, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. Come on, let's just sing along. God said it. Some of you know it. And I believe it. And that settles it for me. Okay, I won't go into the rest of it, except for I remember as a teenager who was really trying to understand this whole faith thing, who had seen people react the way they did about movies, and then people react the way they did about some of the, the musical groups. And then seeing people who, and we actually had a, a place down in the church that had the, the past pastors of the church and some of the leaders of the church who had beards and long hair. And now they were this whole reaction that people couldn't have beards or mustache. It was just, I kept thinking to myself, God said it. What did he say? And then people would say, I believe it. And I'd watch some of the people and I'd go, well, he said this and this, and I'm not sure. And I began to kind of formulate a third thing. God said it, I believe it. And I would kind of be thinking then, baloney which was a word I learned from my mother whenever we would have these situations where my brother and I would be kind of wrestling and somehow she'd come in and the light would be on the floor broken and she goes, what are you guys doing? And we would go something like, well, nothing. And she'd go, baloney. Which means, you know what, reality's not matching up here. Or I would say to her, you know what, I, Mom, I really, 
I want to go out and play baseball. I practiced my piano for a half hour, and she hadn't heard a note, and, and she'd go, baloney. Well, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking of this whole idea of how do you take the Word of God, understand it, and apply it, and, and then what is this whole idea that God said I believe it, and, and that settles for, for me, and that, that whole process. you ever thought about that, this whole idea of the application of the truth of God? And, and not in a short time we have to be able to get into some of the questions that would be some of the deeper questions of how do you apply some of these things. But I'm going to ask you to think about four questions, and I'm hoping in some ways it may stretch you a little bit in thinking about your own understanding of God's Word. And the four questions I want you to consider is, is what does your Bible look like? I'm not, I'm not asking you to look at your Bible and, and tell me what color it is. I want you to think about your Bible in the sense of what you apply and don't apply from that Bible. And I'll explain that more. How do you approach God's word? Really critical question. What's your approach to this, what we call the Bible? And then the third question is, are you in hearing range of God's word? And lastly, are you willing to do what the word of God says? Those four questions that I want us to look at. And if you look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 29, the very first question is around this whole idea, what does your Bible look like? How do you choose what you apply and don't apply in your daily life? Jesus has just spoken this incredible message, the best message ever given, called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's gone through all these truths and he's... He's, I think, dazzled the people with both the simplicity and depth of what he's taught. And he gets to the very end of his message, and here's his concluding words. I'm going to read it in the message, which is an updated paraphrase by Jim Peterson of the Bible. These verses, he says, these words, Jesus ends by saying, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies, and don't work them into your life, you're like the stupid carpenter who built his house on Sandy Beach. And when a storm rolled in and waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. And when Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. He applied what even he said. Quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. Now, if you are familiar with the King James Version or maybe the New International Version, the NIV, you might be more prone to understand these words as he starts out and he says, therefore, you know, after all these things I said, therefore, here, I want you to hear this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, actually applies them to their life, is like a wise man who has built his house on a rock. So what do you apply and don't you apply to your life from the words of Jesus, from the word of God? 
I realized early on it wasn't really quite that simple. That's why I asked those questions. God said, I believe it settled it for me. And when it seems like there was all kinds of applications, all kinds of understanding. In fact, if you just go through the Bible here and you look at Matthew and continue on to chapter 8 and you read chapters 8 and 9, and if you look at also Mark and some other um, Gospels, you'll see that one of the things that Jesus is doing is he's not just giving good sermons, he's actually doing ministry. So he, he wanted, as a rabbi, a rabbi's desire was that, that not only would a person think the way they think and not only would they begin to teach the way they teach, but they'd actually live the way they live and do the things that they were doing so that when you see this whole section here where he's going through miracles, he's not just going around like this. He's actually training his disciples to do that, because when they came up to him later, it says at one point a person came up and they said to him, we came to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. And if you go through this passage of scripture in eight and nine, and I won't give you all the verses, he he um, actually um, heals a leper. Then he has a guy come to him and says, a centurion, a you know, Roman soldier's servant is ill and and he says, you don't even need to come to my house. So Jesus is a long distance healing. And he spends the entire night healing at the town, comes to the door of Peter's home. And he spends the whole night healing. And then, and then he calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And then after that, he heals two demon-possessed men. Then he heals a paralytic who they actually lower through the roof of the house because they can't get to Jesus because it's so filled with people around him. And then he raises a dead girl. He heals a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years who doesn't even say anything, just touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. And then he heals after that two blind and deaf men. And then he calls his 12 together who as a rabbi is training his disciples to do what he does. And he says, I want you to go preach this message. The kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. The power, the residence of God is among us. And he gives this word, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, so freely give. How many of you apply that in your life? Or is that to be applied? He, he goes on and he, he, he shares in another story of a rich young ruler comes up to him and who wants to know, how do I have eternal life? How do I inherit this? And, 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 and Jesus says, well, do you know the commandments? He gives them all the commandments he does. And Jesus says, that's all really good, but there's one thing you don't do. He says, what you need to do is go sell all and give to the poor. How, how do you know that? Do you apply that that way? These are the questions that were kind of going through my head and may have gone through yours at times. Before Jesus goes to the cross, prior to sharing his last meal with his disciples, he washes their feet. And this is what he says. Now I say that as your Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. And I have set you an example that you should do that as I have done for you. You know, there's some churches that do that. So I ask you, what do you choose to apply and what do you choose not to apply in your life from the Word of God? How do you figure that out? What, what, what is your standards of understanding these things? It might make you feel a little uncomfortable, but maybe another way for me to say this is what verses do you like and what verses don't you like? Do you know that uh, Thomas Jefferson, who was one of our first presidents in his latter years of his life, he, he took a a Bible and constructed a book called, and he called it his Bible. And he gave his Bible the name, as, this is the name he put on it, The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. You know what he did? He actually took a, he, this is time consuming, I'm sure. He took a razor and he took glue and he cut out every section where there were miracles, things that he didn't really like and didn't think he believed or should be in there. And he took the razor, and then he would take the words that he wanted, and he glued them back in. And every time, in fact, he would actually, in a phrase, if he's going along and something pointed to the divinity of Christ, he would cut those words out, and he put the whole thing together, and he, he gave it a title, 
And I kind of ask you, what would you give the title of your Bible? Is it a book of laws that tells you what you should do and shouldn't do? How do you see this book? Is it just a book about promises? Maybe in your mind it's a book of wise sayings. Or maybe it's a good theological treatise. Or maybe it's just a history of some people called Israelites and a whole bunch of other stories. And the question that I was thinking about as I was preparing this is, to some degree or another, don't we all, and I hate to say the words, but don't we all kind of pick and choose to some degree what we want to believe and apply in our life? I mean, it's really interesting. People look at this and they look at different things. So you have to ask yourself, what are eternal principles and what are time-bound cultural directives? Are we to wash one another's feet or are we to use our positions of authority and power to serve one another, which foot washing is merely an illustration? These are the kind of questions that you have to ask. I'm not going to answer all these. We don't have enough time to go through and to kind of go through an exegetical how do you understand and apply. But recognize that it's not such an easy thing. There are traditions that, treat, that, that, uh, that say, well, this is how I understand this, so I understand that, and this is how I understand this. Are we literally to sell our possessions and give to the poor? Are we to live with our hearts free from a materialistic addiction so that we can use our wealth, as Jesus said, to gain friends for ourselves so that when it's gone, Jesus says, you'll go to heaven someday and they'll be welcoming you, saying, thank you for what you gave. Because look what it's provided for me. Are we to pray for healing? Do we believe in some sense that maybe there is some demonic stuff behind illnesses? Possibly. What do you like? What don't you like? What do you cut out? What do you put in? How do you understand concerns around justice and power, human sexuality, place of possessions and material wealth, the, the role of women, the gifts of the spirit? I could list on and on the, the end times. How do you allow the word of God to be the authority in your life? To guide and shape and form you. Now, we could go through at this point, and, and I could kind of sit down with you, and how many would like to, I could give you some hermeneutical principles. Okay, it, that means just how to interpret the Bible. Uh, and there are some real truths in how we can do that, and, and we have a, a course that we call Bible Basics that we're doing now. We have some classes where you can go, and you begin to learn and, and, and understand some of those things. And, and truly, you can go in and you can look at the context and understand the context and understand the time and the culture, and, and you can understand, does that word also, is it in sync with what seems to be in the Bible and other places? And there's, there is a real way to get to that. But all I wanted to do is ask you to think about for a second what it is, what is it that guides you and what's in and, and what's not in, in your Bible. What are you attracted to and what aren't you? It seems to me that when Jesus was, was approaching this to some Pharisees, who were constantly coming before him and asking him questions about interpretations. They'd come to him and they'd say, Jesus, you know, in the Old Testament, there's this whole idea of marriage and divorce. And when one school of thought thinks this way and one school of thought this way, what do you think? And Jesus, when it comes to taxes, there's some people that think we should do this. And there's some people that think, what do you think, Jesus? And Jesus, when it comes to, to fasting, there's some people who think this. And when it comes to Sabbath, some people think this. And I think it's interesting as Jesus kind of stops them right in their tracks. He says, you know what, if you really get if you want to start out right and at least get your trajectory in the right direction, there's a real important thing to understand. And so if you, you, you look at scriptures, if you have your Bible and you want to look at this or see on the screen, John chapter five, verses thirty nine through 40. I think Jesus is a bit frustrated with some of these Pharisees. He gives them what I call as a heart check question. 
which I think is good for any one of us to be thinking about here. He says, and the NIV says it this way, he says it, he says, you study the Scriptures diligently. You are students of God's Word. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. Isn't That's a pretty strong statement. I mean, wouldn't you say that in here is eternal life? But he says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. He's talking here about your approach and how you go to this word. He says, there are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Or again, the message, I like the way he says that you have your heads in your Bibles constantly. Isn't that fun? Because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you and you aren't willing to receive from me life you say you want. So the second question is, how do you approach the Bible, God's word? And what I want to share with you is this, that I think when you look at the Bible, the Bible is primarily, I would say, meant to be taken in a relational way. I think that's what Jesus is kind of getting. He says, as you study the Bible, as you read the Bible, as you meditate, as you interact with God's word, the whole purpose is a relational thing. It's that you would encounter the living word, Jesus. Ever thought of it that way? First and foremost, when we start talking about the word of God, we talk about application. The thing that's really important for us to understand, because there's a lot of traps to it. There's a sense you can come to this and you can see this as a textbook. You can see this as a law book. You can see it as a book of a bunch of wise saying. You can see it as a, a you go to it and go, oh, I just need another promise. What Jesus is saying is really important here. It's about your heart and your humility, about your willingness to say, when I come to this, this word is really, it's not just about this book. It's about my life connecting and encountering with the God who gave the words to these books. This book is about me having a relationship with the real person, Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus seems to be saying. In the Bible, you encounter God. In this word, you'll meet Jesus if your heart's open. And I I, I say this to people, don't confuse the Bible. The Bible is not God. Some people, I think sometimes even in our evangelical tradition, we have made the Trinity to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Bible. That, That isn't, you know what the real Trinity is? Not a trick question. Father, Son, and... Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit can give us the opportunity so that as we come into this, we, He uses those words to reveal into our heart the, the truth about who this Jesus is in relationship to us so that we can live with the Father. And it was really, really important to me at one point in my life when I was really, when I was trying to, you know, I was in the Bible study, I wanted to know God's Word, and I was, I was, I was studying it, and there was a certain point that God began to work in my life And I began to approach this differently. When I would take time to be with the Lord, I would still study His Word. I'd get some commentaries from time to time when I felt like I needed to understand something. But I tried to make it really simple. I just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my Bible, I'm going to take a a, a journal, and I'd get a cup of coffee, and I would sit at my desk, and I would would position myself, and I'd look at a chair that I had across from it, and I I had to do this, just the image. I am coming here not to, to read my Bible. I'm actually coming here to meet with Jesus. And that through this, which he says, his word, I can encounter the living God. So I just want to encourage you, when you think about approaching this, Jesus himself even seems to say, look at, 
you can you can be involved in a lot of different Bible studies. You can go on all kinds of courses and teaching and everything else. But you know what? The word of God primarily is a relational book. It's meant to put you into a relationship with the living God so that you in through it encounter him. Scott McKnight, who writes in a book called The Blue Parakeet, says this, Our relationship to the Bible is transformed into a relationship with God who speaks to us in and through the Bible. If we distinguish God from the Bible, then we also learn that in listening to God's word in the Bible, we are in search of more than a relationship with a paper with words. Namely, we are in search of a relationship with the person who speaks on that paper to our hearts. And our relationship to the Bible is actually then a relationship with the God of the Bible. Alan Jacobs, a professor at Wheaton College, says words matter because words flow out of persons. The reason he's given us his word is that we might know his heart. Can you imagine what it would be like for me in a relationship with my wife if all I did, I was just really consumed with her words? You know, yeah, these are wise words and I would kind of categorize those and these are words of command. You know know what I mean? These are words of warning. (laughs) The whole purpose of the words between my, their personal exchanges, their investments of one another's life to one another. And one of the things that happens sometimes is, is we become these kind of people who we see the Bible as a book that we get to know this stuff and our head gets in a book and it's not about a book, it's about a book that leads us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the reason you spend time in His Word is not that you can know more and it's that you might be wise with this relationship you have with this one so that you continue to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. And God gave us the Bible not so that we can know it, but that through it we can know Him. And then in knowing Him, we might know what's really important to Him. And you know what's most important to Him? If someone came to Him and said, you know what's the most important thing? He would say, love God, love others, right? All this stuff should be moving in such a way that it transforms our character to become more like Jesus. That we live and we look like Jesus. So, the next question is this. If you understand that, that you have a Bible and you have to start paying attention to what are your inclinations of your heart, what, what, what do you want to cut and out and put in, and then you realize that the most foundational thing is that as you approach this, it's just this humble heart to not just be in relationship to some actual words on a paper, not squiggly lines, but to a real God. Now the thing I want to ask you is, are you in the range of hearing God's word? Jesus seems to be saying that in Matthew 7, 24. He actually says it. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine is like a wise builder. And I love the fact that Jesus is so inclusive. He says everyone, meaning anybody. He he has no exclusions. He says it's not about whether you have a Bible degree. You don't need to grow up in a church. You don't have to attend Sunday school as a child. So if you're here and, and maybe you've been only on this path of, of seeking to know God for the last few months and And he says it doesn't matter anyone who has exposure to this word because it's not about, and it does help to have better understanding of the culture and background and just Bible study tools and all things. Anyone who comes to this seeking to know this Jesus, the living word of God who speaks to his word, can can begin to know if they hear the word, can begin to know this God and this God can transform your life. And that's why I say, are you in the range of hearing God's word? Because the critical thing here is the everyone means there's no exclusion. The critical thing is, are you putting yourself in a place? Are you in a position where you actually regularly are allowing those words that come from Jesus himself to transform your life? 
In a sense, this whole thing, Jesus says, anyone who's willing to hear my words, they'll become wise in this life. This means anyone who is willing to take time to read God's word, to study God's word, to meditate on God's word, to listen, will grow wise. Are you taking time to do it? Last Monday, I, on Monday mornings, I meet with a group of guys and we meet at 630 in the morning. And when we get done around 730 or so, this time, this t- morning, I didn't have an appointment right away afterwards. So I had about an hour or so. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to stay and grab a booth there. This is at Panera. And I'm going to just take a few moments to not just read my Bible and not to write some thoughts down, but to meet with Jesus in the midst of, you know, this whole, you know, restaurant. And I began writing in my journal. And sometimes when I start writing, I, I, I'm just not really sure where I'm going. And I was just starting to write because one of the things I like to do is write and give thanks. And I said, Jesus, good morning. I love how you are willing to meet with me anywhere at any time. You allow me to pick the time and place. Just show up and you'll be there has been your model to me these past 25 years. And I thought, what other mentor is that flexible and that faithful? Think about it. I mean, think about it. Here is the God of the universe that says, I will meet you if you put yourself in hearing range. I will allow myself to speak to you through these words. You pick the time. You pick the place. Just do it and I'll be there. I, I thought about that as a writing that. It just made me kind of laugh because the day before I was trying to make an appointment with someone. And it was one of these kind of things. We were trying to get things together. And I said, and, and I said to them, how about Tuesday morning? They go, well, I can't do Tuesday morning. Maybe uh, look at the schedule. How about Wednesday morning? And I can't do that. And the, uh, the guy said, I'll be out of town until Thursday. And then how about Friday? Well, now Friday, you know, have you ever done that? And then about two months later, you finally get together. <laughs> You can put yourself in the hearing range of God whenever you want. And he'll show up. Who else would be a mentor like that? Do you take advantage of it? I mean, does this stir your heart at all? That the living God is there waiting. On a regular basis, are you putting yourself in the range of hearing the word of God? And then the second thing is around this. Are you willing to do what God says? And as I was thinking through this, I, I thought about Jesus. One of his one of the things you, you see in his life, Hebrews 10, 7 says it this way. I have come to do your will, O God. And if you go through, you read in the Gospels again, and again, God, I'm here to do whatever you say. I am willing. You tell me so that at a certain point he's actually contemplating that he's going to die the next day, this horrible death, not just physically, but emotionally, even deeper than that, spiritually. He would be cut off from his father and in a garden, he's sweating blood and he's saying to him, if it be your will, you know, could you do it a different way? But if not, whatever your will is, I'll do it. Your word is what I want to do. You say it, I'll do it. And I, I was thinking to myself so often. We make this about the big things and, you know, about the big kind of things we're trying to interpret. And, and really, when you look at the life of Jesus, and I was kind of imagining this, we, we focus in on the, the three years of his ministry, right? You ever think about the first 30 years of his life? Do you ever think how mundane that was? I mean, here he is growing up, 
learning how to, at a young age, probably eight, nine, ten, going with his dad, Joseph, learning how to be a carpenter, was doing the building trades. He follows his dad around. We're told that at some point, probably when he was around 14, 15 years of age, his dad, Joseph, dies. And so now Jesus, the oldest son, becomes the head, the CEO of the Joseph and Sons Construction Company. And so here Jesus, at 15 years of age, what he does is he says, God, I just want to do your will. I want to do it day in and day out in the simple ways. The, the word of God applied really is pretty simple. And, and you see it in the life of Jesus. So when you apply it over and over again, it does something to your character. So that as your character is defined and developed at a certain point, sometimes he leads you into significant ministry in, in ways that you were just made for. And at th- age 30, Jesus is thrust into the ministry he was created for. So for Jesus, for the first 30 years of his life, it meant running his dad's construction company with integrity. Think about it. From 15 to 30, it meant building solid and reliable products. It meant not cheating his customers. It all sounds familiar to what God might be calling you to apply your life to. It meant being fair. It meant being reliable. It meant being diligent at his work. It meant paying his taxes. It meant taking some of those money and caring for the poor. It meant being respectful to the jerk who was trying to rip you off. It meant for Jesus forgiving the person who went bankrupt on him and left him with a huge bill. For Jesus, putting God's word into practice, doing his will meant loving people, learning to live with gratitude and joy every day, not complaining and grumbling when work wasn't going the way he wanted it to. It meant living in peace, trusting that his father's provision would be there, even when he didn't know when the next job would come his way. It meant being patient and kind to an irate customer. It meant being gentle with his younger brother when his younger brother messed up. But that's hard to do, right? Some of you got younger. Okay. anyway, and being good to people who didn't deserve his goodness, being faithful to do a job. This is when when I was writing this out, it just kind of hit me. It meant faithful doing a job that he knew in his heart wasn't his ultimate life. Ever been there? It meant being meek when he had all the right to let a guy have it with both barrels. It meant self-control when he felt inclined to let his mind and emotions run away on him. It meant being like you right where you live and work. Are you willing to do that? I just think people who meet Jesus through his word and then put themselves in the range of hearing his word on a regular basis and then have a heart that says, I'm willing to do what you're calling me to do, even if it's mundane, even if it's hard to do, their lives change. They are transformed. I want you to watch a story of that kind of thing. My dad left when I was around five years old. He would come around basically just to punish me when um, I did something bad, which was um, more often than than I cared to see him. So I was raised to um, have my feelings betrayed and have to defend myself emotionally and physically as well. So from one fight to another fight to another fight was the, the cycle that um, I lived for a long time. In the meantime, inside, I was um, wondering, when, when do I get out to... When, how can I get out of this to go do what I want to do? Which I didn't know what it was uh, until I found drugs. Now, by that time, I was, uh, must have been 16, 17 years old. So I used drugs uh, for many years after that and I decided to start drinking. Of course, at first, it, drinking was great, just like drugs. Um, 
lived many years drinking and going to work, paying my bills and everything was fine. And then I started going to jail. Uh, one random act after the other. Um, I started losing apartments that way, jobs. It started getting harder because I started building up a criminal history. So I ended up having a daughter, 2005. Her mom decides she doesn't want to deal with me and um, she leaves. So um, I start drinking more. I ended up living at my parents, my dad's house. Uh, I was living in his basement, drinking all the time. I had lost my job and uh, I had been drinking for about three days. I'm looking at at people with families and they have a home and a car and a job and uh, I don't have anything. So I'm laying on the floor with a bottle in my hand, face down, um, and I can't get up. And I asked them if they would just kind of stop there for a moment because I just wanted to give an opportunity kind of in your own heart just to go, you know, you may be in one of those places where you're kind of face down without hope and going, God, I need to meet you. I need to start putting myself in hearing range of your word. He will meet you and he will transform you. Listen to the rest of this. So I'm laying on the floor with the bottle in my hand, face down, and I can't get up. The only thought that crossed my mind was go violate probation. Violate probation and go and serve your time in prison. And so I did. I took one last drink, uh, put my clothes on, and uh, when the cops pulled, when the cops showed up at the house, I um, I happily went with them. So I went to prison for 14 months. At that point, I got out of prison. That was uh, last year, and I uh, was taken to a six-month uh, program, ARC, with the Salvation Army, adult or uh, adult rehabilitation center and that's a Christian program and they started um, talking about um, they started talking about uh, Jesus Christ at first I was like oh what did I get myself into this is really boring um, and after a while it was like it started making sense and I started understanding that everything that was in the Bible was happening to me just in modern day there was drunkards there was there was prostitutes just like there are today, prison. So six months went by. I had a couple of really good friends that I made there. When they graduated out of that program, that's when I started realizing that uh, humility had entered my life and I, didn't, I hadn't realized it. It was the, the softening of the heart that I had allowed someone to come close to me and become a friend. So I left that program but I left that program with a smile. And that's when I realized that I had, I had God in my heart. And the smile grew even bigger. And I was just like, I'm homeless again. But now I have something, and now I have something to um, work with this homelessness with. I don't, I'm not aimless. I, I, I can direct myself properly now. A couple days later, uh, I ended up here at Freedom Works. And they asked me all the questions. They they were like, um, well, do you want to do all these things? And they, they gave me a long list of, 
of things that if, if I wanted to do them, that I could join FreedomWorks. And um, every last one of those things, it was like, yes, 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 yes. And it wasn't like, uh, well, you have to do this if if you want to be here. And it was like, no, I I want to do these things. And they said, well, we'll hold you to it if you come to our program. And I was like, well, yeah, signed off on that happily. Since then, I've, I've uh, gotten a job. This I've called this my home. I've I've um, received a family, maybe not in the sense in the earthly way, in the earthly earthly sense, but received a new family and friends. I, I you have not been able to wipe the smile off my face uh, since I came here and uh, got the first job, and I was so happy and good things have been happening and and I, I see more coming it's just it's so much I can't grasp the size of the amount of good things that are coming one of them being uh, me meeting my daughter she is now eight years old her aunt is the one taking care of her right now I know we're going to meet I just don't know when the the, the, the feeling in my heart is, is beyond I, I kind of have to hide it a little from the people outside of this building I can't. You, you can't just walk around hugging people and telling them how great things are because I remember what it was like for me when I was on the floor, and those that that existence is still among us, everywhere. But there is something that I, I have. There is a, something new, a new life, and uh, that has been given birth to in my heart, and that's where I am, and I'm very excited uh, moving to ways that are free. Um, getting to know everybody who's welcoming me to that house. I've never had so much good and positive continually happen because in the past when something good would start to happen, I knew the end was near. I see no end anymore. And I see the beginning of, of lifelong relationships with my daughter, with a job, with a home, with a church, with Christ. I know they expect it this time. I'm really excited because uh, Churro and Sam and, and Rich are going to be, they're in our Freedom House. And when we were talking about this and uh, they're being a part of our community, what's really cool to me is that um, we have, you know, we all know what it means to be imprisoned to our own sin and our own stuff. And, and many of you know what it means to have Jesus meet you in those times and then to, to be in the range of his word where he begins to speak to you and starts to make you into something that you weren't and begins to start giving you hope and starts removing the things that seem to be in the way. And when I was talking with, about them coming, I just... Um, I. I look at these guys as missionaries to us because they have experienced God in some broken places that some of you haven't experienced. And we all have our own brokenness. And we can all come to the cross, and at the cross we're all at the same place. That's why I love the community that God's creating here. What Dick had said in those announcements, this is a community that God wants to do something really, really powerful through. 
So I hope you guys are all in, because I know you guys are, you know, we're in to do something for the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to pray. Um, I'm going to pray especially for Rich Sam and Arturo as they kind of enter into this house and for ministry opportunities. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have of these guys to be um, to minister in our midst, to be a part of our community. And so, God, I pray it be a really great relationship of sharing our hearts and lives with one another. Thank you for what you've done in their life. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of people here and in the lives of people that we're touching in our work world, in our communities that we're involved in. God, in every step we take, we pray you go with us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that in it we encounter you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.